Thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and it is brought to you by Band Coffee. Right now, it's very unfortunate. There's a coffee war going on, and Band Coffee is winning that war. It has the most caffeine out of any coffee on planet Earth. If you go to BandCoffee.com and enter in promo code Top Turtle MMA, all one word, not case sensitive, because that's how we roll, you will get 20% off your Band Coffee order. I repeat, 20% off your Band Coffee order. If you're one of those people who, you know, does stuff during the day, goes to work, works out, does a high-impact sport or activity such as mixed martial arts, you probably need a little boost to your day. You're probably a coffee drinker. Don't waste your time with other coffees. Get yourself Band Coffee, the most caffeine out of any coffee on the planet, and that's really saying something. You're going to like the way we coffee, I guarantee it. Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Band Coffee and CSU Mouthguards, and it starts right now. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. Joined by my co-host Daniel Gumby Breland, and this is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. That's the mothership. We, of course, are available there. Also, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever a podcast is being streamed. Gumby, one of the things we pride ourselves on here is just getting right into fight talk. We don't like to waste our listeners' time. So with that being said, let's talk about the fact that Mark Hunt fought back on Father Time, beat quote-unquote up-and-comer Derek Lewis with a fourth-round TKO victory, and then Derek Lewis, of all people, announced he's probably retiring? Yeah, yeah just... Uh, these post-fight speeches are just weirding me out with people kind of retiring, not really retiring. But let's talk about the performance first because, you know what, I, I think what was awesome about Mark Hunt and that people so often forget about him is how hard he hits <laughs> even after 17, 18 minutes of fighting. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he fought in, in parts of that fight were wars early on. He fought in a war early on at 43 years old and, and not a beacon of fitness in the first place, yet he's still throwing giant haymakers in the fourth that could knock any grown man out. Well, I definitely thought Mark Hunt had the better cardio than Derek Lewis. And, and when did you think you would ever say those words? <laughs> uh, and, you know, listen, if I was going to make excuses for Derek Lewis, he brought up the fact that he has a bad back, he couldn't really even put weight on one leg because of it and then flying down you know halfway across the world to New Zealand it's tough you know do I think Derek Lewis could if Mark Hunt and Derek Lewis fought 10 times I I think Derek Lewis might win half of those fights to be honest with you but you know they were they're pretty evenly matched I guess when all was said and done is what I'm trying to say yeah and and I I thought that they were evenly matched going into you know I gave the edge to Mark Hunt being that you know, I, th- I thought that he was most likely the person who could persevere after the first couple of rounds because, to me, it doesn't seem like Derek Lewis has ever really cared about his, his cardio and his fitness. He's, he's prided himself in being a big dude who knocks people out and a big dude who drags people to the ground, but it feels like his whole buy-in to the MMA game wasn't there, which is, again, maybe why him retiring is is maybe not all we shouldn't be so surprised by it right well yeah so you had obviously you brought it up already last month after uh rumble lost to dc he announced that he's retiring but then he tweets during glover versus uh gustafson that he's getting that itch again a whole month later <laughs> R- rumble's always kind of been you know a little all over the place when it comes to i guess just the commitment to mma so to speak i mean why do i say that i guess i say that because he had trouble with what weight class to be in and 
um, he's fighting at 170 for a while. Yeah, which is insane. And then uh, now you have Derek Lewis saying he's going to retire because he's going to go get married and he doesn't want to put his family through this. You know, and it's just surprising because in both cases, Rumble was young, is younger than DC, and Derek Lewis was supposed to be like that up and coming fighter fighting the legend. He's younger than Mark Hunt, yet he's the one who's uh, supposedly retiring. Yeah, and in, in, he had such momentum behind him too because he's such a marketable guy because of the way he talks on the mic. So to see him retiring this early, I mean, it is kind of a shame because you know one loss. Is certainly not going to make or break his career here, especially to a legend in the legend's hometown. But uh, let's play devil's advocate. If you're his wife, Mrs. Black Beast, or his mother, or a family member, is Derek Lewis a future UFC champion? And should he keep fighting and risk, you know, potential health? You know, it's a health risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but is he a future champion? I, I would say if he changed his his view at fighting you know like if he got himself in some crazy good shape you know what I mean if, if he was going to the gym and working with uh you know a strength and conditioning coach in addition I, I mean he might be working with a strength and conditioning coach and I don't mean to knock whoever his strength and conditioning coach is if he does have one but it's clear that that's not an emphasis in his training right <laughs> like the, strength and conditioning is not important to Derek Lewis right now well but if he put in that time where he could go 25 minutes without looking like he's going to die, he might have the skill set to do that in a heavyweight division where it's not hard to just tag a guy once. Okay, that's totally fair. And I do agree with you. I mean, this is not a first either. We saw in the Abdurakahima fight, uh, you know, very winded. All heavyweights get winded, especially mm -hmm. as you get into the fourth round. But I think there's something with him, and I don't know if it's like a lackadaisical approach to MMA or what, but sometimes it just kind of feels like he covers up, he bides a little time, and then he's like, oh, should I turn it on now? Oh, okay, I'll turn it on now. And then he knocks people out. And I don't know that that's necessarily cardio or like a mental aspect to it but it's very odd i agree with you though maybe with the right uh mindset and team he could be a future champion let's talk about mark hunt real quick what does he do from here shit man I i've thought about this like a hundred times and there's no good answer right like it's just keep signing him up for fun fights right like i i, I watch him fight dos santos again i'll tell you that much um, it's, you know, he fought Dos Santos. What was that? Like two, three years ago, two or three years ago. Uh, lost by spinning wheel kick. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was just, you know, unfortunate to see him get tagged like that. Dos Santos coming off the, the title challenge loss might be a good matchup for him. I, I mean, like for, for me, I think what we have to do with Mark Hunt now is we have to find him fun fights. And if he keeps winning those fun fights, who's to say he couldn't make another run in a division that's real thin? Well, I was going to say, he was ranked number seven, beat number six. Uh, the top five, most of them he's already lost to. He's lost to Stipe, brutally lost. Mm -hmm. He's lost to Fabricio Verdum. Uh, have him and Kane fought? I don't think so. Okay, so him and Kane is a fresh matchup. Him and All-Star have fought. They just fought. Him and Junior Dos Santos have fought. Francis Naganu. That I mean, that's a fresh matchup. Yeah, you you could put him in there with Naganu. That that would if he's going to be the prospect tester, that that would be the match here. You know, we have Brian Kelleher on the show later, Gumby, and we were talking. Obviously, Lewis retiring in the octagon in sort of a surprising fashion because you think of him as an up and coming heavyweight, a younger guy than the man he was facing. That's a memorable post fight interview. But we have Brian Kelleher on, who had a great post fight interview in Brazil <laughs> uh, just a week or so ago. Uh, what do you think makes a good post-fight interview in, in your estimation. You know, it, it's crazy that you bring that up, too, because, like, when you think about the good post-fight interviews, the ones that you really remember, it's about 50-50, like, kissing the fan's ass and 50-50 
pissing the fans off. Mm. Because, you know, Kelleher got bottles thrown at him. That's how offensive he was to Brazilian fans. Call that drawing heat in professional wrestling. Yeah, exactly. But does that work all the time? No. Eli Aquinta said, you fucking boo me. And he, like, yelled. Well, and that didn't oh, work at all. Hold on. <laughs> it didn't work on the live crowd. I would say when he did that, it got his name in the public, you know, ether but but probably not in a good way though right like everybody just shit on him for like a couple people are still shitting on him for that i i would say him doing that at least got his name known i so, think so are, are we are we making a statement right now that a good post fight interview has to say something offensive and sort of surprising to the fans well <laughs> you know i'm not the first person to say this i think shell sonan says this i think a good post fight interview is a call out i think it starts with a call out because there's nothing more frustrating than when joe rogan or brian stan says what do you want next or who do you want next and the fighter says whatever they give me man and i love that fighting spirit obviously it's what martial arts is kind of based on but in today's you know uh social media conor mcgregor era you gotta call someone out you gotta say who you want and get fans excited about it yeah yeah i think that's the key there too you you've got to say in and even if you don't say a specific name you know Clearly hint at a couple of names, and you're 100% right. Something to get the fans' excitement level up, whether it's in anger or happiness. All right, well, let's cut to, speaking of Brian Kelleher, our interview with him. He had a great post-fight interview a week or so ago in his UFC debut. I think sort of introduced himself to new MMA fans who had never heard of him, or UFC fans, I should say. Uh, and we got a chance to catch up with him because he got rebooked right away. And a uh, very exciting fighter, so we'll play you that interview now. It, of course, is brought to you by Band Coffee. Head on over to bandcoffee.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, all one word not case sensitive get yourself 20 percent off your banned coffee purchase it has the most caffeine out of any coffee on planet earth in the whole freaking galaxy banned coffee brings you our interview with ufc fighter brian keller this is daniel gumby vreeland here with my co-host dave tremonte with flowcombat.com we are talking to brian boom kelleher who fights marlon vera on ufc on fox 25 in long island on july 22nd uh brian just an absolute amazing post-fight uh interview right after your win over iri alcantara did you have that planned ahead of time or was that on the spot ad living yeah, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I had a few things that I knew I wanted to mention, you know, after the fight. You know, of course, I uh, I imagined that I would get the victory. But, uh, you know, I think, it, you know, a lot of it was just improv. It was just on the fly. And I think most of all, it was like the crowd was getting really loud. You know, they were chanting against me, and it kind of fired me up. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to run with this. I'm just going to get loud back and just say everything that I want. And I know uh, with the UFC, it's like if you ask, you know, you receive. So, I asked for everything that I wanted, and I got it. You know, here we are fighting in Long Island, July 22nd. Absolutely. And, and yeah, absolutely amazing, too. You know, we've never seen a fighter in his first fight, first of all, beating a guy in the top 10, and then asking to be booked almost immediately after that fight and getting his request. Uh, do you attribute that more to the, the performance, which was a stellar performance, or a little bit to the way that you asked? 
Um, you know what? Both. I think, uh, I think, you know, it was a big upset. I was the biggest underdog on the card, you know. Uh, Yuri has, hasn't been submitted in his career in the UFC, I don't think. So I think I made a big statement with that. Uh, you know, he's fought some of the best guys in the world. Uriah Faber, you know, Jimmy Rivera, who's number five in the world now. Uh, those guys couldn't finish him, and I finished him under two minutes. So I think that made a big statement. And, uh, of course, you know, I think the UFC liked my character and who I was after, you know, uh, expressing myself in the post-fight interview. So, you know, both of them definitely played a role. Absolutely. Now, that guillotine you slapped on him, that was quick, man. I mean, did you know right away that that was just sunk? Were you surprised how quick he tapped? You know, I was I was pretty surprised at how quick he tapped, but, you know, I knew he had it on. It was pretty tight. Like, and that was, you know, that's something that I hit, you know, and uh, it's, uh, it's one of those moves that, you know, you, you just know what you're good at type thing. And, I, and I, uh, I know I have a tight squeeze. You know, people have told me before it's just something different. So, uh, you know, I think what happened was I hurt him with that right hand on the way in. He took a panic shot on me, and uh, I latched on quick to his neck, and, you know, he tapped right away. I think maybe he might have been rocked by the right hand or something. Yeah, that had to play a part in it. And obviously it looked like, I mean, you know, we weren't in the cage just watching from, from home. It looked like a very good angle that you took on it. But it's just funny because we've seen some people recently, you know, fight out of guillotines. I think of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Tyron Woodley. Like he was in a guillotine for two minutes. Obviously not all guillotines are created equal, but that one was just so nasty. And it, it was such a quick tap. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, you just got to feel it out and see what you're good at. But, like, when I get a geek, you know, someone, you know, it's all about the angle, the feel, the way your hands are placed. And, uh, you know, I just have it down where, you know, once I get it on you, I can feel like it's time to squeeze. And, like, I'm going to put this guy to sleep or he's going to have to tap. Now, was there any trepidation or worry about taking a fight so quickly? Uh, you know, just uh, what is it really like almost eight weeks apart, essentially, that more or less? Yeah, I think uh, eight weeks. Um, no, not at all. I mean, this is what I want to do. You know, like I said, I want the fast pace. You know, I want to I want to be the Donald Cerrone of the bantamweight division and take fights if I'm healthy and, and I'm in shape. I'm ready to go. You know, I, uh, I live this life. You know, I train day in and day out. I eat healthy all year round. You know, I'm ready to make money in this sport and uh, make a statement, build my legacy. And, you know, I think uh, keeping me active is a good thing. You know, I really believe in momentum and... Uh, you know, right now I have good momentum behind me with this first victory. And, you know, I hadn't fought in a year, so I, I thought maybe I might have had some UFC jitters, but I felt great going in there. And now I get to fight at home, and I'm just amped up. I'm really excited, and I'm just going to feed off of this victory and get another one. Absolutely. Masterful performance. And, and yeah, no UFC butterflies, uh, so to speak, or, or from just looking at your first performance. Now, you're a, you're a Long Island guy. Uh, where, where do you train for people who don't know you? Who, who's your uh, who's your team? Uh, you know, I, my main gym is Maxim BJJ. Uh, that's, uh, that's where I train most of the time. But uh, we really, you know, everyone's got open arms here. There's a lot of great gyms. Uh, I go to Ryan LaFleur's gym at Long Island MMA in Farmingdale, and uh, I, I train with a lot of good guys over there. And, uh, you know, once in a while I'll get over to Ray Longo's gym or Matt Center's gym and get some work in there too. So I'm bouncing around Long Island getting the best work that I can, and, uh, you know, I'm happy with what I have here. It's, uh, it's been great. Absolutely. I mean, there's another very strong bantamweight in the UFC, Aljamain Sterling, as well, out of Long Island. I mean, Long Island is, is producing, they're producing fighters right now, you know, almost as much as, as any other spot in the country, I think. 
got a lot of solid guys. You know, it's just taking off right now. Uh, we got a bunch of guys on this card, too. Like, I'm really excited because the energy is going to be amazing. We got, like, I don't know, like seven guys on this card from Long Island. And uh, it's going to be great, you know, with all of us kind of preparing for the same exact moment, you know. And uh, I think we'll feed off each other in the training room and uh, also feed off each other, you know, backstage before the fights. Absolutely, and it's definitely a bonus to have a bunch of people peaking at the same time, uh, obviously for, for performance reasons. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about your opponent. Now, Marlon Vera coming off a huge KO over Brad Pickett in the UK, where he kind of spoiled his hometown send-off. Um, but he's even though he's got the big KO coming in his last fight, he's typically seen as more of a submission specialist. Was it your goal to get another submission specialist in your next fight, uh, kind of like Alcantara, or was this just something that kind of popped into your lap that's similar styles? No, you know what? I think it just popped into my lap. I think the UFC knew uh, that, you know, he was uh, looking for a fight as well. And, uh, you know, I think it's just a case that his manager probably pushed him to, to fight, you know, on this card. And, and my manager was pushing for me being a Long Island guy. And I think it just worked out like this. You know, I, uh, I would have preferred to get a top-ranked guy just because I beat number 13. You know, I want to move forward and I want to move quick, you know, towards that title. But, you know, I'm, you know this, this is my second fight in the UFC. I got to take what they give me, and I wouldn't have turned it down for anything to fight at home like this. So, uh, you know, uh, he's a good fighter. You know, he beat Brad Pickett. You know, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he finished him. He took him out. But Brad Pickett was on his way out. He's 36 years old. You know, I don't, I don't think he's in the same stage as me right now. I'm a young, hungry lion that wants it really bad. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a completely different fight against me, I'll tell you that. Absolutely. So when you step into the cage on July 22nd and you're facing Marlon Vera in Long Island, can you give us a prediction on what goes down and how it goes down on that date? You know what? One of my strengths is killer instinct, and I'm always going for the finish no matter what. I don't want to go to the judges. And uh, it's going to be the same thing July 22nd. I'm going to get in his face and I'm going to push the pace and try to break him mentally and get the finish, whether it be knockout submission, I'm definitely going to take him out. That's my prediction. So, Well, uh, we're looking forward to that fight very much, Brian. We can't thank you enough for the time. Brian is fighting Marin Vera at UFC on Fox 25 in Long Island on July 22nd. Thanks so much, Brian, and best of luck in the fight. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Boom. There you have it, Gumby. Brian Keller. Man, that dude is super charismatic on the mic. Um, I mean, like, we've only had two chances to see him in our interview. I mean, obviously, he's been doing the circuit recently of, of interviews, but our interview and that post-fight interview, just absolutely electric with a microphone in his hands, and the sky's the limit for people like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about it because what did you make of Mark Hunt using his post-fight interview to say he wants the sport to get clean? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's interesting to think about using that time for that, but it's been something so on the tip of his tongue anyway. You know, He's like, suing it, the UFC over it. Yeah, and it, so it, it's not like a surprise to me, right, because obviously that's there. If he had done that just like out of the blue, I would have been like, wow, that's a weird choice to do it right there. But, I, I mean, he's made some really awesome points in the media, like – why is it now that we're waiting until after they fight to pop them for steroids? Well, and you also, know, or, or if whatever you, they pop. Them. Well, I think uh, one of the other points I love that he makes is if you can get someone's like a quarter of their purse for them missing weight, why wouldn't you get a quarter of their purse if they cheat and take steroids? Yeah, and and I mean, no good argument not for that, right? Especially because half the time you saw to hit them with a some kind of purse penalty or some kind of fine, and. 
who who sees that money? Yeah. Now, so I didn't mind Mark Hunt doing the the steroid call out. You know, he's kind of taking on that cause. Yeah, he, he's the figurehead for that. What do you make of when a fighter complains about uh, a lack of money in a post fight oh, interview? I'm it, we're in such a weird world with MMA right now because of the the way that people get paid. And you know, there's all this talk about a union. There's all this talk about you know pay scales and and how people get pay per view points. I don't. I can honestly say I and I believe most fans and analysts don't know enough about the money side of this business to be able to make an argument about how much a person should get paid, and so it's it's almost hard to to like blame the fighters because they probably don't know what the the UFC's books like either. Yeah, and well, that's the thing though. What do you make? What do you think of them going public with it, which so many fighters have recently? And obviously, here's what I'm talking about: Demetrius Johnson released that uh, Dana White is forcing him uh, to fight T.J. Dillashaw. Uh, there is a verbal contract in place or a contract in place for D.J. and Ray Borg. We're about to speak with Ray Borg, and he'll clear that up more than we ever could. But the point being is that D.J. essentially is saying that Dana White has held it over his head that he might scrap the division because it doesn't bring in money and we could, we've talked about the flyweight division and either the lack of marketing or the lack of people wanting to see very small fighters fight at 125 pounds 125 pound men i should say um but i guess the point being is you know what did you make a dj taking this all public so i think you just asked me two different questions that i have two different answers for because first of all people in in interviews coming out and saying that they need more money or should get more money i think in general is a bad career move because in the end for that, I think nine times out of ten, they blackball you. And, and for the rest of your time dealing with the UFC, they hold it over your head that you made them look like shit on live TV. Mm-hmm. Demetrius Johnson's in a little bit different of a boat here. While he is not typically the giant draw, right? We've talked about how he's got poor drawing numbers. Worst as- pay-per-view numbers in UFC history. Yeah, so we've, we've talked about him being not a good pay-per-view draw. In that same token, though, there's a large appreciation out there amongst MMA pundits and and journalists for his body of work. You know, like when he came out and said that, there were like nine or ten articles against nine or ten of the biggest MMA sites out there about how he is one of the toughest guys in history, maybe the pound pound best fighter of all time, and all people in support of his message. So like while he might not have the numbers to show it, he is in a little bit different of a place than other people complaining about money because People appreciate what he's doing craft-wise, and they know he's one of the greatest of all time. So uh, for him, I think it was smart. He he has a little bit more leverage than uh, people realize. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I, they could scrap that division, and I don't think a lot of people would lose sleep over it. I don't really think you, I you would. You don't think there would be a media uproar at least, though? You know, like, I, I agree with you. I think the common fan wouldn't throw a fit if they scrapped that division, which is sad because like when we talk with Ray in a second, there's so much talent in that division. You're right. The common fan might not freak out yet, but would the MMA media freak out? Well, but what do they care? I mean, they're in bed with TMZ. Like they don't care what, you know, maybe a little bit what MMA junkie does, but yeah. they have a war with Ariel Hawani who runs MMA <laughs> fighting. Yeah. Dana doesn't care what bloody elbow prints. So I, I, I guess that's true, but, but I, I'm more of what I'm thinking here is that if the MMA media all got fired up that they were killing a division, 
I think it, there would be some sort of pull with the the MMA fans. I think there would there would be some kind of counter reaction as a result. And I, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I I feel like yeah. perhaps it would influence. I disagree. I think Dana goes by what's ESPN saying, what's TMZ Sports saying, uh, and then who's that boxing writer, Kevin Ioli? He seems to have some oh, pull yeah, with the, Dana. The guy he used to be Yahoo Sports' yeah, guy. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, but um, you know, I guess what I wanted to say was I think in this McGregor era, people think they need to ask for more money and i was thinking about connor's rise and here's one thing you have to give to connor because he obviously has talent and he has mic skills and when you combine those two things you know not everyone has both some people have a lot of talent but they're not charismatic some people are super charismatic and they can't back it up in the cage connor's done both but what i would say about connor when i was just thinking of his rise is every new step they put him in he thrived. And here's what I mean. So he starts out with a knockout. Okay. Great way to make a name for yourself. Brian Kelleher starting out with a guillotine. Great first step. You know, finish someone, finish them in a highlight real fashion. Then he had uh, the fight with Max Holloway, which went to decision, but he won and he tore, tore his, his knee. Yep. Okay. So now they thought they had something with him because he had a whole country behind him. He comes back and he beats Diego Brando in the main event of a fight pass show. And I think that was their moment where they're like, whoa, we have something here because the arena was electric and the fight pass numbers were great. So then they put him, I think it was UFC 178. I'm always bad with my numbers, but he was third from the top. It was actually headlined by DJ versus Brian Carioso, I think. Oh, Chris Carioso. Chris Carioso, right. And uh, Connor knocked out Dustin Poirier. Okay, here's another test. Let's put him on pay-per-view. Let's market him. Knockout. Then they have him headline an FS1 show on Super Bowl Sunday. Or it was an AFC Championship Sunday. Mm -hmm. And he does what? He beats, uh, what's his name? The little German uh, dude. uh, uh, Dennis Siever. Dennis Siever, thank you. Blank for a second. In Boston. I was there at that one, yeah. Okay, so now he, so now, what have we done, Gumby? He's knocked out someone on Fight Pass. He's knocked out someone third from the top on pay-per-view. He's knocked out someone as the main event of FS1. Let's put him in a title shot in July. It ends up being an interim title shot. He knocks out Chaz, Chad Mendez. Okay, fine. That was a co-main event. Lawler versus Condit, I believe. No, actually, that was the main event. Yeah, that was now that I think of one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time. Of all time. And then he comes back and for the real title against Jose Aldo, the king of the division, knocks him out. Every stage... In every big place he was put in, he had a banger of a performance. And and, and he sold it. Too. And he sold it, too. And I think that's what some of these fighters miss. It's like, all right, well, when they put you on Fight Pass, which maybe you're mad about, you better shine. Because yeah. that's a test for them. When they put you as the headline of FS1, it might not be pay-per-view, but you got to shine. And that's how you keep going to that next level. Mm-hmm. I think that's how the brass kind of looks at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and you're kind of right, too, there, because a couple of those... Uh, Mighty Mouse wins. Not that he's not finishing dudes, but they're like, eh, yeah, it's not a banger. You're right. You, you use the word banger, uh, and and you know it's not it's not that crazy performance. You know, Joseph he, Benavidez is the, his win over Benavidez with the knockout. Yeah, which that was, was on Fox. Too, that was but, a banger. Yes, but I like agree. the other ones were like. You know, he wrestled fucking... They're technical masterpieces. Yeah. You oh, know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you can't MMA doubt that. MMA nerds and Joe Rogan loves them, but listen, <laughs> we've spoken enough about Mighty Mouse Johnson and the flyweight division. Don't take our word for it. Let's talk to Ray Borg, who might be next in line for the title shot. So we will now play you our interview with Ray Borg. It, of course, is brought to you by Band Coffee. Band Coffee is the strongest coffee on planet Earth. If you're one of those people that needs coffee to get you through the day, don't waste your time with your stuff. 
Starbucks and your Dunkin' Donuts and your Pete's Coffee if you're one of those West Coasters. Get yourself some Band Coffee, strongest in the world. You get 20% off when you go to bandcoffee.com and enter in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, all one word. Band Coffee brings you our interview with potential flyweight title challenger, Ray Borg. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte with Top Turtle MMA FlowCombat.com and we are talking to Ray Borg who is the rumored contender for Mighty Mouse's title although this thing has gotten a little haywire. Uh, Ray, the, the Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson thing is a huge mess. He's, he's arguing with the Dana White uh, in public about what he's going to do next. It was reported that you guys had accepted a fight together for the title. What were you hearing on your side during all of this? You know, um, throughout the whole process, it's, it's, it's been more of, um, more of DJ, you know, coming out than, than me. You know, I don't, I don't ever come out and say I'm fighting someone unless I have uh, a contract about to be sent to me, or I don't ever say, Hey, I'm fighting this person unless there's a contract signed and the UFC announces it first. I'm never the guy to break news like that. So on my end, it was more of a verbal agreement. It was more of an idea. Like, we, we after we beat Formiga, it was like okay, you know we're gonna we're gonna get a fight quick. You know we're in a good spot. We you know the the UFC's been great to us. Uh, you know McMaynard, you know been awesome to to work with, and they just gave us a new deal. So it, we were more waiting on a fight, and then it became the like you know talk started going around like hey you know you just beat Formiga, who was the number three guy who was supposed to be next if he beat you. So we might fight Demetrius, and it was more of a a, a verbal agreement and more of a of a of a talked about fight. I, you know, not, not too much of a verbal that like verbal agreement is the furthest it really got between, you know, myself and DJ completely understand. So what do you make of DJ kind of bringing it out in public that, you know, that was the fight he uh, verbally accepted. You were the fight he wanted. What do you make of the UFC trying to, I guess, insert TJ Dillashaw, who obviously great fighter, former bantamweight fighter, but someone we think of as a bantamweight, you know, I guess someone might say he's sort of skipping the line, going down to 125. They want more of what they would consider, I guess, a money fight. What do you make of TJ being the one that they want to get the title shot? The thing about TJ getting the title shot is, you know, I'm only 23, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've climbed the ladder pretty quickly for my short career in the UFC so far, so I, I feel like I can beat Demetrius, I feel like I, I, I have a better chance than TJ, I feel like my style is a better style for, for Demetrius than TJ's style, but a big problem that I have with TJ trying to come down is not necessarily, you know, coming in, skipping line, and fighting DJ, because DJ, I mean, he does have a a credible name. It's an interesting fight because he was a former champ. But my problem is, he if he comes down here, is he going to come down here and tie up the division, the division, or is he going to stay? That's my biggest concern. Is because if TJ wins, beats Demetrius, Demetrius, you know, because he's defended that title ten times, I imagine he'd get an automatic rematch. So he'd have to fight DJ one more time. And let's say he beats DJ two more times. It is what it is. But I would be, I would be ready to fight. TJ, you know, I'd get a win or two, uh, you know, under my belt while all that process plays out. And I, you know, I'd be coming right after TJ, but it's a question if TJ is going to come down to 25 and stay there and be willing to defend his belt. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with him coming down because regardless if he can make the weight, how many times can he make the weight? He's never fought at that weight before. So 
who knows if 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 he's going to like the way his body performs, you know, because to be truly honest, I fought at 35 and, you know, even though 35 is a far easier cut than 25, I never liked the way my body felt performing at 35. And the same thing can go for TJ. You know, if he comes down to 25, how is he going to like the way his body performs? Because he's not going to be as strong. Because, I mean, I'm not nearly as strong as what I can be at 35. He's not going to be as strong. He's, you know, he's going to be a little weak. The weight cut might hurt him. And, you know, so it's, it's whether or not he's going to come down and stay. If he comes down and stays, then, you know, it is what it is. Do what you got to do. I'm coming anyways. Yeah, absolutely. So many, you just brought up so many good points and a lot of things I think people are thinking just about, you know, him coming down and taking his first fight ever as a title fight. Uh, you know, no, no disrespect to him. He's a phenomenal fighter. Just, you know, he, he's never fought at 125 before. The other thing that came out with, with DJ, Demetrius Johnson re- revealing a lot of the kind of back and forth negotiations he's gone through as champion with the UFC and Dana White was he made mention that Dana has threatened to scrap the whole division altogether. And I believe Dana's even confirmed this and, and said, yes, I, I have made mention of that, but we haven't yet. Well, what did you make of that part of this public negotiation? Have you ever heard that rumor before as a flyweight fighter that they've thought about scrapping the division? No, you know, I've never, I've never heard anything about that. You know, I don't really talk to the big, the big cheese or, you know, any of those guys, you know, in the UFC, I let my management team do all the talking for me. You know, I, uh, my job is just to fight and train. So, but I had, you know, I've never heard the rumors of them closing the division, but you know, it kind of sucks. I mean, my first thought was if it's true, then shit, I'm either going to another organization or I'm moving up to 35. So, I mean, it sucks, but you know the the crappy part is is you know DJ has his beef with the Dana with Dana, you know the DJ has been the face of the flyweight division for so long that that's why people aren't interested or are bored of the flyweight division. But you know myself, you know Moreno, Pettis, so many other guys are coming up in the rankings and coming up quick, and we're all young. You know we we you know there's so many dudes in the flyweight division that have all the all the opportunity and all the the talent in the world to to become stars in the flyweight division and bring some attention to the flyweight division so to punish the whole division over one guy is you know kind of like shitty but i mean i you know maybe people are just so set that because dj couldn't sell the flyweight division no one else can but you know i i truly feel that you know, there's a lot more of us that can, you know, add some oomph to the flyweight division. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. You know, I'm, I'm a huge professional wrestling nerd myself, and they always say it kind of takes two to bring out a big star. You know, you think of your Hulk Hogan had your Roddy Pipers, your Stone Cold Steve Austin had a Vince McMahon. DJ's never really had like a foil or someone who I think really, really pushed him to bring out the best or had like a series of fights or even a fight that deserved a rematch. He's just carved through everyone like a chainsaw through butter. And it's kind of been a little boring. Now there's been some, you know, bad marketing behind him maybe too, but I agree with everything you're saying. The, the flyweight division might just need a new face, plain and simple. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I feel like it needs someone who, I mean, I don't know. I have this approach towards, towards everything i tell my wife i tell my brother i tell everybody this that you know if you meet me on the streets if you meet me you know in the supermarket i am no different than a person shopping for for broccoli and asparagus i'm no different than anybody you know who walks around until i get in that cage and you know as weird as it sounds that's what i call your inner gangster you know from from where i'm from in albuquerque you know everyone's got to have that inner gangster and you know demetrius can fight well 
he's an athlete, but he's, he's a great family man. You know, I, I really appreciate and respect how the, he did an interview the other day talking about how his legacy is in the backseat. You know, it's his children. You know, that's, that's awesome. The, but it's what the shitty part is, is, you know, casual fans who are the ones who, you know, buy the pay-per-views want to see some, some stir in the pot, you know, some, some shit talking, things like that. And, you know, what I, I truly feel like my inner, you know, quote gangster, you know, can bring it in because, you know, I'm a great, I'm a humble guy. You know, I, I do this for my family. I, you know, I, I love, I love to fight, but uh, you know, if at the end of the day, when that cage door closes, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm ready to go in there and fucking tear someone's head off. You know, it's, I, you know, that inner thug, the light switches and it comes out, you know, and I feel like that's what DJ kind of lacks is that being able to separate fighting from his family, you know, he can have, be a great family man, you know, a great respectful guy outside of the cage. But the minute that cage door closes, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta bite down and you gotta, you know, you gotta get ready to go. You, you gotta be able to, you know, be witty, talk some shit. You know, these, these people are in there to take your head off. They're trying to take food off your plate. You know, sometimes being nice to them is, you know, it's just kind of, kind of awkward in the, the fight game. I mean, it, respect is always there, but you know, it doesn't sell. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you say you say that term inner gangster and I really like that. I'm trying to just think of like, man, who are some UFC fighters who who've shown some inner <laughs> gangster and, and, you know, made some money and talk some shit. <laughs> Diaz brothers. <clears throat> oh, yeah, dude, definitely. Like like Connor, Connor talks so much shit saying, hey, you know, he's a uh, he he makes, you know, uh, balloon puppets with the right hand and, you know, gang signs with the left hand, whatever. But I mean, I was like, dude, I respect that dude for, you know, for him to take the time to teach kids and, you know, go on bike rides with the elderly dude. That's, that's something you respect. But when he turns in, when he gets in that cage, he's, he's as thug as it can be. And that's, that's exactly, you know, a great example. Yeah. And, and you, you certainly have, have preached that and, and shown that in the cage as well. Let's, let's talk about the other side of the things in the cage too, though, because, you know, while you might be the right person to market the 125 division, you know, we got to talk about the actual matchup with Mighty Mouse Johnson. So should you be the one to, to, to get that fight, what do you like about your matchup with Mighty Mouse? Because you said you feel like you match up well against him in the cage. What aspect uh, do you think really puts you as one of the best contenders for him? You know, one, one thing that, I mean, people are starting to see more and more throughout my fights, especially in the last one, is when it comes down to it, you know, when it comes to getting in a fist fight, I will bite down and I will and I will throw in your face. But I feel like my chances against DJ are better than anybody's by far. I mean, you can, I mean, you can ask anybody. Moreno's got good jujitsu, but he's he's got good jujitsu. Pettis has got good striking, but he's got good striking. Me, I have great I have great boxing, and it's getting better and better every day. I have great jujitsu, but what separates me from all these guys is my scrambling ability, my ability to find openings that no one else can see. I mean, I've been doing this so long that. When I first started training, I got my ass kicked every day for like two years. I, I didn't go through beginner jujitsu classes or beginner MMA classes. You know, I went full on MMA. And so I just muscle memory kicked in so strongly that I was able to like scramble my way out of position so I wasn't getting my ass kicked. You know, I, I defended submissions for the first two years before I ever started catching anybody. So I feel what separates me is my scrambling ability, my ability to find those openings put DJ on, I feel like I can put DJ on his back, you know, I mean, I, I feel like if I, and, and a big thing that separates me as well is how many flyweights do you truly see beating the shit out of people when they're on the ground? I mean, um, that's like my whole arsenal is ground and pound. And I feel like a lot of my style, you know, willing to, 
to exchange with DJ. I am, I'm, he's certainly not faster than me. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm the worst matchup for him if anybody at the flyweight division. Yeah. And so in that, that talk right there too, you, you mentioned Pettis and Moreno who are now booked together. Uh, Wilson Hayes, Henry Cejudo now booked together. Joseph Benavides is hurt. Uh, if they do give this title shot to TJ Dillashaw instead of you, who is left for you to fight? Are there any names that you're thinking of or, or are you willing to sit there and wait until they figure it all out? No, I, I'm absolutely not willing to wait. You know, my whole thing is staying active. I'm, I'm too young to just wait for title shots. I mean, if I was 30 years old on my way out, I would wait for a title shot. But right now I need to just stay busy, you know, keep building, keep getting better. You know, the only way I get better is training and actually fighting. So that, that, was, only, that was my only frustration with this whole DJ thing is if it was going to be pulled out from under me and getting a TJ, it is what it is. I didn't care. But the more and more as time passes, everyone's getting booked up. But I mean, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, Ben Wynn was super impressive last night. I didn't, I didn't watch the the fight. I mean, I know it was only, it was pretty quick, but I, I heard he, you know, dismantled him pretty quick. You know, John Moraga actually looked good, and you know, he's a former contender. So you know, it's it's honestly like I've gone on record and told and pretty much said on interviews all the time, like you know what, Sean, Dana, and Mick Maynard, you guys don't have to ask me to find anybody. Just tell me, hey, it's Moraga or it's Ben Wynn or it's Pettis. And I'll just say, cool, let's, you know, tell, tell me where I need to, when I need to be there and, and things like that. And I'm ready to go. So, I mean, it, it's whoever is available and whoever they're willing to throw at me. Well, Ray, this is a very interesting time in the flyweight division. Uh, obviously, we don't we don't really know what the next move is, if it's DJ and TJ or if it is you and DJ. But nonetheless, uh, you know, we wish you luck with whatever the next step is. And once something is booked, we, we'd love to have you back on to talk about it. Yeah, man, definitely. Um, you know, I'll, I'll keep everyone posted, you know, for the time coming, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, hopefully, it all gets resolved within the next couple of weeks. All right, there you have it, Gumby Ray Borg. Yeah, and you gotta love at 23 years old his his approach to this whole fiasco, which I mean could pull him in to some like really crazy media and some really crazy quotes. And he's just so calm, so collected. And is just going to do what the UFC needs him to. And, and that's, I mean, commendable in a, in a way. I think I was getting more hyped up on his behalf. He was very uh, mature about his decision-making process. I think that's a great point. I'm young. You know, I'll fight someone else. I still have time. Uh, and he wasn't going to play into any of the drama or the BS that some other people might fall into that trap and, you know, start bad-mouthing people and X, Y, Z. All right. We actually have a fight card coming up this weekend, Gumby. It's UFC Singapore. It 4.30 is- a.m. if you're on the East Coast. The, <laughs> You and how many other MMA nerds will be up to watch that? (laughs) I I mean, I'll probably set my alarm. Uh, I'll make it an early night Friday and get up 4.30 for it. It's headlined by Holly Holm (laughs) versus Betch Correa, uh, and that's actually at bantamweight, if you were wondering. I know, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought Holly Holm was a featherweight now. What a disaster. All right, so... Betch Correa, let's talk about her first. She is 1-1-1 one, one, and one in her last three. After losing to Ronda Rousey at UFC 190, uh, she came back and lost to Raquel Pennington, then beat Jessica I, and then had a draw with Marion Renault. So if you want to peel it back, she's 
one, two, and one in her last four, including the loss to Ronda Rousey. And hey, if there's one thing you can always say about Betch, it's that she's a 900,000 pay-per-view seller <laughs> uh, as far as buy rates go. So about nine times the drawing power of Mighty Mouse Johnson, although it might have had something to do with who she was facing. Holly Holm, another woman uh, who's fought Ronda Rousey, only she beat Ronda Rousey. And after beating Ronda Rousey in November of 2015, she promptly lost three fights in a row. If you had told me back in November of 2015, the woman who beats Ronda Rousey will then go on to lose three fights in a row, I would have said, you're crazy, Jack. She lost to Misha Tate, her title, in March of 2016 via rear naked choke in the fifth round, then lost to Valentina Shevchenko, summer of 2016, and then this past February lost to Jermaine Durandamy in the fight heard around the world, that fight that kicked off the epic UFC featherweight women's division. Uh, yeah, so she's 0-3 in her last three. Who you got here, Gumby? Uh, I- I'm going to go with Holly Holm. I, I think when you break this fight down... Uh, I mean, you could look at Betch's fight with Ronda Rousey. Betch Crohea is a person who got outstruck by Ronda Rousey. I just want to remind people at home that that happened. Uh, so when you think about the fact that she's about to step in with one of the the better kickboxers he's ever graced the USC women's divisions. I mean, to me, there's no chance with her on the feet. And Holly is big enough and uses her range long enough that Betch isn't going to get out of the takedown. This is going to end early and probably pretty violently if... Holly has that killer instinct. See ya, Betch. Betch is a plus 450 dog. Holly... Still not good enough at plus 450. <laughs> Holly, a minus 600 favorite. The co-main event is Arlovsky, a plus 210 dog, to Marcin Tybura, a minus 250 favorite. Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I think Arlovsky's got definitely some uh, some life with those odds. Uh, you know, he's lost four in a row. But when you look at who he lost to four in a row, got knocked out by Steve Miocic, got knocked out by Overeem, got choked out by Josh Barnett, and knocked out by Francis Naganu. So he got knocked out by three of the hardest punchers in the heavyweight division and submitted by probably the best grappler in the heavyweight division. So, uh, you know, while that's certainly not like something we want to write home about, you look at Tiberas, and he's fighting Victor Pesta and Luis Henrique. Uh, you know, he doesn't have that kind of signature you know, record like Arlovsky does. So I think Arlovsky's got some play there, and I, I'd certainly bet on him, mostly just because I'm a huge Arlovsky fan. And even just as a dog getting the points, uh, you know, the main card is not that bad. Uh, and this is a fight pass card, if I didn't mention it. Then you have Dung Young Kim, Colby Covington. What do you make of that? I've been waiting for Colby Covington to get a big fight all year. I mean, he's been asking for a fight since, like, January, and he's just finally getting one. I think this is a good matchup for him, too. Dong Young Kim is a guy uh, who's recently fallen in love with his striking, but if he falls in love with it too much, too, he's going to find himself on his back against Covington. A wrestling like Covington machine. This one. Yeah, yeah take down machine. machine grappling. And, and then this is probably the best fight on the card, if you ask me. You got Tariq Safadine, who's now a TriStar. Uh, I liked what we saw on his last performance. He's going to be fighting the former champ of 155-pound division. This, of course, is at welterweight. Rafael Dos Anjos making his welterweight debut. This is so hard for me to peg just because what do you make a Dos Anjos at, at 170? I, I don't know anything about it. So it, it'll be interesting to see what he's got there. I don't know if he has the strength to take down Safadine if he's going to try to wrestle. Safadine's such a good kickboxer too, so it, it's tough to pick. I'd probably go with RDA just based on, I think maybe the the lack of weight cut will do him good. All right. And then on the prelims, which there are a lot of prelims, this is all on Fight Pass. Why don't you give us a fighter or a fight to watch out for? I mean, I, I'm really excited to watch uh, Justin Scoggins versus Alka Sasaki, um, two flyweights who are just 
you know, absolutely electric to watch. Um, although I think that one might be happening at Bantamweight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, although they both fight at Flyweight. Scoggins went up one time. That is at Flyweight. It company. is at Flyweight? Yep. Okay. Um, and then the other one, there's another Flyweight fight earlier in the night. It's Nauko Inoue uh, versus Carl Johns de Tamas. Uh, they're both, I think, 19 years old, uh, making their UFC debuts, um, and have had some killer records in their home country. So, uh, probably a fun one to watch there. All right. Well, there you have it. UFC Singapore, a very, uh, under the radar show to say the least, but this was a great show of ours. I want to say, I'm very happy that we got to talk to Ray Borg in the midst of all this chaos in the flyweight division and talking to Brian Kelleher, who slapped on that sick guillotine and could be a prospect to watch at 135. We thank you so much for listening. We, of course, will be back next week. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on flowcombat.com. Thanks for listening.